You're listening to These Are The Days. So welcome back to These Are The Days. A huge thanks to Dan Phillips for coming on to talk all things beer. Uh, there's plenty here as well, trying to track down his top 10 that you gave us. Uh, if you do get any, make sure you tag us on social media when you do. Uh, I'm trying to get that in Edit Dam. For Tesco's or wherever else, can I get it? Mind the order online because it sounds class. Uh, don't forget, give us a follow on social media. We're at The Days Podcast. And you can check out the website, thedayspodcast.com. These are the days. My next guest is someone I've known for around 15 years, but probably never really got to know them on a personal level. Uh, We're going to be talking about radio, TV, eyewear, mental health, um, possibly being pickpocketing gay bars, uh, as well as coming back and reinventing yourself. This is episode 20 of These Are The Days. Follow the podcast on social media. We're at The Days Podcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. So my guest this week is an old work pal of mine from those uh, days gone by of Wave 102 uh, a long time ago. Uh, known then as John Quip, now John Mitchell. We might get to that because I still think John Quip's the best radio name I've ever heard. Do you like it? I, I've always liked it. I always thought it was really unique. And then I found out it was your actual real name. And then I thought, well, oh. you know... Yeah. Growing up being John Whip, oh, that's a funny quip. All of this kind of stuff, you know, it was um, hard to live with as a young guy growing up. But actually, um, how I got to John Mitchell is quite a funny story. And um, because Mitchell is actually my middle name. Okay. There we go. So via marriage, but never mind. We won't talk, <laughs> we won't talk about that. So it's John Quip to John Mitchell. Um, I didn't change my name back to Quip because I figured that it's not it's not a big name in my family anymore. I'm not having any children. There's no legacy there. John Mitchell has a nice ring to it. So that's how we get here. Yeah, that's how we get there. So uh, touched on it there. So that's how we met a very long time ago now when you think it's 2021. Um Good times though, weren't they? They were good times back in the radio days. Had so much fun at Wave 102. It's really funny. Um, I turned up to that radio station as a tech op when it was um, owned by Ulster Television. So olden days um, in terms of radio, the radio world and the industry now, um, I turned up as a really eager tech op. However, that said... Um, I was actually 30, so it's 10 years ago now, it must be. Um, and I had decided that year, New Year's Eve, that's it, I'm going to work in radio. I'm not going to wait anymore. Actually, I think I was 27. I must have been 27. And um, 13 years ago, you tell me, Ronnie. Yeah, it has, to, long ago? It has to be, because I, I, I left in 2010, so it has to be more than that. Okay, so 13 13 years ago, something like that. Anyway, I remember it was New Year's Eve and I said, that's it, I'm going to work in radio. I'm I'm determined, I'm doing it. And my pal Claire um, said, I will, if you go work in radio, I'll go work in radio. We're about the same age. Um, I think she maybe, she's a couple of years older, so she would have been 30. She would have been the the 30-year-old. I was a wee bit younger. Um, and I, I just contacted um, Peter at the time at Wave 102 and I said, I'm really keen to come and explore um, the radio world. Can I come along? And he had me um, operating the controls during the chart show. That's how I started in radio. And I remember driving from Aberdeen to Dundee for, it must have been three hours work for a tenner. It yeah. didn't even cover fuel. Yeah. That's um, what it was like back in the, the question- day. <laughs> I know the question on your lips. Whatever happened to Claire? Yes, that, that that would have been brought up. Yeah. Well, Claire is now the breakfast show presenter of Original One Hundred and Six. Oh, excellent! And she gets to she gets to work with a pal of mine. Who, uh, so she has worked in radio all this time. She's stuck at it with the same radio station all this time. And she's now the breakfast show presenter. Um, what am I doing in radio? We'll talk about that soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so when I was kind of looking back at some of the stuff, I mean, I was it was about two thousand and 
six or something I went and had a good four four year and a bit four and a bit years at it. But I look back now and think I wish social media was as big as it was back then because we were doing a lot of a lot of doing a lot of daft stuff as well, you know, but to have social media as a tool then would have been amazing. Uh, do you remember I used to have you out in the city centre trying to get people's breakfast? Could you imagine Absolutely. that filmed on social media? It would have been brilliant. You would have got would have got loads of content for it, but I got so much more out of it. But there were still fun times. Regardless if it was your 10 quid or whatever, it was getting you in. What were you doing at the time? Like, what was your full-time gig at the time? What were you doing? I was manager of an opticians. So... Um, I worked for Black and Lazars at the time on Belmont Street um, and I managed um, an optical store. Um, so optics and radio have been like my my flirting professions, if you like. So um, I started working in optics um, when I was about 20, 1920, in Optical Express, um, quickly promoted to practice manager, was working at head office, and I've always kind of gone back to optics whenever I've tried something new. So I was at Black and Lazar's at the time, managing the practice and decided on this new year, I wanted to have a crack at the whip at radio. Um, and inevitably, the lure of radio just became too much. Um, Wave 102 was sold by Ulster television as a failing flailing radio station at the time we were like the black sheep of the utv family and um a guy called the station and a job a full-time job straight off the bat so i packed my stuff up quit my job in optics and came and worked full-time in radio what a gamble right it's incredible like it's incredible but radio does that i mean i so when I left, I finally left. At the, I left officially at the end of tw- 2009 and I kind of hung about for a little bit doing some cover shifts. And I remember going and thinking, I need to get a real job. Like, I have to go and get a real job because I, I had no money to pay the bills. Uh, I've t- told the story loads of times, but, you know, I was having tomato soup with, with microwave mash because it was nothing. Well, I had none, barely had a penny. And I remember going back to it and thinking, I didn't miss it. And I didn't really miss it at the start. And see, like in 20, oh, what we going back now, 29, 2018, I had a slight conversation uh, to go back to Wave FM at the time. And I went back on a Sunday and then I went to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I really did like it. And then COVID hit and that was it. And, and, and it kind of turned upside down, but it was such a different place. Like from the, from the shit we used to do and get away with back in the day, um, it was incredible. But it, it's that lure that... If you've got something that you really want to try, and for you to just pack up and go is incredible. It really is. Listen, we'll keep on the radio thing because it will be a big a big part of it. But um, one thing I have to ask, and for people that's a few years have gone by, but you applied for a TV show, didn't you? And you were on that TV show. Tell me about it. Dead. So actually, this came about because I was on Wave. Um, so... <laughs> I was at my desk one day and the phone rang and it was Endemol and they're like, hey, how you doing? We're looking for people to take part in a BBC um, TV show that we're looking to film um, and we're looking to find out what presenters would be good and who would be willing to come and try out in this TV show. And I said, I'll do it. I will do it. Of course you did. And and they said, right, okay, no worries. Gave me some information and said, come to Glasgow and audition. But here's the deal, Ronnie, you have to, (laughs) this is what they said to me, you have to dress up and you have to bring something with you. So I dressed up in army commando outfit and I brought a bag of Haribo. And right at the start of the audition process, they took you in front of a camera and they said, tell us why you should be on this TV show. I said, because I brought you Haribo and Haribo is the best sweetie ever. And if you don't let me on this TV show after me bringing you a bag of Haribo, then it's a tragedy. You've made a bad decision. And they said, okay, no worries. Well, we've set up a fitness test for everybody who wants to take part in the TV show. And I was like, all right, okay. So we went into this big gym hall and there was like, you know the long beams that you would run across as a kid? 
Yep. There was them set up. There was the horses that you would jump over. There was um, like inflatable um, bats that would be batting each other off the obstacles and whatever else. And um, so I did that. And at the end, they said, congratulations, you're passed. We would love to invite you to Argentina to film our TV show. Um, the only thing is, it's a very quick turnaround. You need to go next week and we will book your flights and we'll meet you in Heathrow and we'll organise your, your hotel and everything else. So I was so excited, got on the plane to Heathrow, met up with um, the guys in Heathrow and we took a flight to Argentina to film this TV show, right? So we're in Argentina now. <laughs> Having just met each other for the first time, we were in the first season, episode three, they were filming at that point. Very new concept to the UK, but had been done internationally before. And they took us to a room in the hotel and gave her our briefing and gave us our per diem. So we were paid like a daily allowance for being on this TV show. And next day we got up, got in the bus and we went to set. And we were driving through Argentina from the city centre, Buenos Aires, through the countryside to this remote location that had big, massive hedges around it. Bearing in mind this is an international recorded show and we are doing the UK version of it. We turn the corner and what's in front of me, Ronnie? Go on. Big red balls. Of course they were. It was the set of total wipeout. Was it so remote? Is it like in the middle of no place? It's bonkers. It is literally in the middle of no place and there's four or five sets set up. So the UK have their area. Australia were filming at the same time and somewhere else were filming at the same time. Um, all of the obstacles are there. They're like concreted into the set, filled with water. They're permanent. It's not a set that is um, a temporary thing. So it's permanently there. And obviously we get our health and safety um, routine for every game that we play. So you have the beginning. I got punched in the nuts a few times from the punch <laughs> from the fists coming so, out the wall. It's like a normal night out. It's fine. Totally, totally. <laughs> it's like, don't threaten me a good time. Uh, Richard Hammond so <laughs> punched in the nuts a few times fell off the big red balls winded myself it was traumatic but the people who get knocked out at that point that's it they're done they have to sit in the sidelines for the next few days you're not allowed to complete the next game unless you pass the game before yeah. for health and safety reasons yeah devastating isn't it <laughs> so I made it all the way through to the sweeper um, I had a brilliant time in Buenos Aires. I met an amazing group of people. Um, and obviously we wouldn't be abroad if we didn't have a night out. So I convinced some of the other contestants to go on a night out in Buenos Aires. So we jumped in the taxi, just a few of us. We went out to this gay bar in Buenos Aires. And the place was absolutely jumping. It was crazy, totally crazy. Um, we were walking around like these <laughs> British folk, like, what is going on? I've ne I have never seen a gay bar like this in my life. It had podiums with people dancing on it. It was huge, massive. Anyway, it had a dark room corridor in this gay bar and I said to everybody let's go walking through the dark room right we need to stick together because it's dodgy and they're doing up to dodgy stuff right and all these hands are creeping out the walls in the background mate I got pickpocketed in the dark room <laughs> in Buenos Aires um, and that kind of put a, a sharp stop to the night um, the next day we went back to the hotel well we went back to the hotel that night and the next day the producer's obviously could smell that we were totally reeking at alcohol a few of us and they're like what happened to you last night and we were laughing telling the story because it's quite funny being in a gay bar 
walking through the dark room, getting pickpocketed. What we didn't bank on was the fact that they didn't find us funny. They were raging. And they had said, if we hadn't filmed so much content, you would all be going home. That's incredible, isn't it? At the end of the day, it's, they're probably just trying to protect their asset. But listen, you're in another country. You've got to go and explore it. You know what I mean? How does it, how did it work with like the quick turnaround and work? Like, I mean, how, how do you just go, by the way, I'll not be here next week because I'm going to be in Argentina? Oh, it was really, really tricky. Like, if I hadn't decided to leave my job in the opticians, this was like between the two things. They probably would have made that decision for me. Um, I just am not a person in life to turn down what feels like a great opportunity is the point here. So they never, nobody had a choice. Like, saying to the programme controller at the time at Wave 102, hey, you have shows to cover because I need to be away, I'll voice track them if you want. Um, saying to my my job, um, my, my main <laughs> job that I used to pay my bills, um, I'm away to Argentina. Why would I turn down a, an opportunity like that? And I guess having that sort of attitude in life is something that really sticks with me um, and I've carried, I haven't grown up, put it that way. Yeah, well, listen, there's no fun in that, I tell you. Um, talking about growing up, what, what was it like for you back in the day? You know, I mean, we're taking you back a long time, given you've given away your age, but what was childhood and growing up like for you? Childhood and growing up for me was a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. Um, my mum was a single parent, so um, born in 1981, growing up through the 80s. Um, my next sibling was 13, my sister, and then I had two older brothers, so... I think it's fair to say I was a bit of a surprise coming on the scene. Um, my mum was an incredible hard worker. She worked in a supermarket. She had the same job forever, the whole time I knew her, forever. Even before um, she had me, she worked for the co-op and that's what she did. Um, so we had a hard upbringing. Well, I had a hard upbringing. My sister was a bit older, but my mum bringing me up as a single parent, juggling a supermarket job um, was pretty tough but where I am blessed is that my sister was 13 when I was born so by the time I was five she was 18 and it was like having two mums and um, my sister had a child of her own at 18 so I was an uncle at four five it's incredible isn't it <laughs> which is nuts. just just when so you say I it like that it's just incredible yeah, so I was an uncle, so I had my nephew, Andrew. We kind of grew up together um, throughout school. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but I know now I had ADHD. So um, to say that through my schooling was a challenge is an understatement. Mate, I was as thick as shit. I had to work hard. I've had to work hard at everything I do and take the effort. And I now know the reason for it. But throughout school, I didn't quite understand um, what it was. I wasn't quite um, remedial, but not a huge amount of it. I had to really, really focus to get through school. Um, terribly bullied throughout high school. It seems everybody at high school knew that I was gay before I knew I was gay. I didn't even know what that was until I was 18 or so believe it or not um, so I was always just the weird one at school I guess um, my nickname was Barbie because any reason? the other kids just made up a wee rumour that I played with Barbie dolls oh. and so that just kind of stuck um, and I was just gobby like never really accepted that so I was always in arguments, always in fights, always in some kind of drama, put proper drama queen throughout school. And the other kids knew the reason for that was because I was gay and I either was in denial. Yeah, I was in denial. Um, why Why were you in denial? Like, why? Is it, is it because you're a teenager and you're maybe still unsure, given we're talking, what, 1997, 98, 99 times? I think that... I think the reason is, and I say this openly and I say it with love, and if there's any gay kids that happen to be listening to the podcast, 
kids now don't know how lucky they are because being gay in the 90s was an incredible tough situation because it hadn't been a huge um, period of time before being gay was actually legalised, if you recall. So being gay in the 90s was still a bit of a taboo. Young folk now have it a bit easier because they're able to be um, who they want to be. But I say that very carefully because obviously being gay is still punishable by death and in some countries and is illegal in over 70 countries. So I have to be careful when I talk about how easy it is, but it's definitely different times now. And being gay in the 90s was not an easy experience. Um, however, from 18 up, I've embraced it. I've used it to my advantage. I've gotten away with murder back in the radio days because I am gay and I can switch it on and use it as my superpower. So you're on about like, obviously you're saying that people knew before you did and you maybe denied, you want to take in maybe ownership of that or, or you want to, you were like, no, nah, it's not happening. What happened at 18? What makes you go, all right, this is me. Uh, I met a boy called Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> now the truth's coming out Bathgate. <laughs> uh, the scene of all romances Bathgate I believe <laughs> room at the top in Bathgate um, I worked there for a little while uh, on the bar and this guy came up to me and handed me a, a piece of paper and run away and it had his mobile number on it and I thought this guy's running away um, this is a good thing for me because it means that I can explore the idea of my sexuality and obviously he is just as terrified as me so what could go wrong and again given what is this 2000 we're talking 99 2000 and you're saying you know you know you're no over the top that he has to know like he has to have made a decision without maybe or, or if you maybe served him i suppose he can know but that's a massive step like you say at that time, you know, you know, I think at 18, I just embraced my d being different. I told you I was a bit weird. So being 18, what I did do was um, wear jeans back to front just because I could. <laughs> I would spike my hair up like, what's that guy's name? Gareth Gates. Oh, classy. With UV hair gel Room at the Top at the time was a super club. It was the biggest nightclub in Scotland, certainly one of the biggest in the in the UK. Um, I worked there whilst massive DJs like Boy George, Judge Jules, huge DJs would come and play. And it actually was a bit of a playground for me because nobody knew who I was. People were getting buses to that nightclub. Yeah, there were some local people there who knew who who I was, but most of the people there couldn't care about me and I couldn't care about them. And so I just embraced being weird. Um, and I took it to the next level and the next level and the next level. And it really gave me my confidence to be able to speak because before I worked there, I probably couldn't even make eye contact with you, actually, to be honest. Um so you'd find me in room at the top, dancing on the bars, dancing on the speakers, um, getting drunk after my work, staying out until Monday, just doing what 18-year-olds do. And it was probably the healthiest time for me, although probably one of the sh most stressful time for my mum, because she's thinking, what on earth is going on with John? He's just all over the place. Um, Are you still living at home at this point? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she, my mother thought I was on drugs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, I think we've all, maybe that's always been felt at that time. Because again, you're, you're living your own life, but you're under someone else's roof. You know what I mean? So 100%. And to be fair, it was the late 90s. So sometimes I was on drugs, but she thought that I had completely lost it. I was totally out of my mind and I was away, but actually... What I was doing at that time was just figuring out who I was as a person. Um, and I'm grateful for it. I look fondly at the tattoo I have on my ass that covers the Room at the Top logo that I got one Saturday morning when I was completely wasted. That is 
the hallmark of somebody living their life at 18, 19, 20 year old. You went football and white girl wasted, didn't you? Um, it's amazing <laughs> that, I mean, I, and I'll, you know, for, I mean, there's no much between, there's a year between us, you know what I mean? I'm, I've just turned 39, but it's amazing that how it's probably no the same now, but the clubbing scene and the going out scene in our time defined a generation because there was no mobile phones, really. I mean, you didn't have, you know, no like it is now. You know, there's no camera phones. It was basically to phone your mates and text your mates and it was costing you about 45p. But the difference that that scene had on us as, a, you know, as growing up, you know, I'm not saying it turned us adults because it turned us blooming stupid at the same time, but it just made us see what life was like. What we were seeing other people older than us going and doing and then for us to do it. Whereas now you could probably go on, I don't know, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever, and you could see clubs, you could see what's going on. Whereas for us, we had to live it. And we're still here now, which I'm very grateful for. I'm very grateful as well. I find that the relationships that we formed back then, on the whole, were less intense because we didn't have a way of living in each other's pockets. And therefore, whenever we were with friends, I've got some great friends that I've kept in touch with, from that time, um, I feel like it's actual genuine friendship that I formed with these people at that time. Um, and it's lasted, my best friend, we've been friends for over 20 years now. Um, and we weren't in each other's pockets like we would be now. Um, but it also meant that you were quite excited to go out. I was excited to go to work because I'd be seeing my pals that I wouldn't be seeing. We wouldn't be sending videos of each other or photos or whatever. I literally physically would not have seen them from one week to the next and sometimes not spoken to them from one week to the next. It was great. Yeah, it was incredible, wasn't it? It really was. At what point did did you kind of have to slow down on that lifestyle? Did, uh, did did a new relationship or our relationship come along or did you leave there for a real job or what happened? Well, I had a real job. I worked for Sky TV at the time um, and that was just a temporary job. I was temping at Sky back in the analogue days. Um, nothing was serious. I was rolling out digital, Sky Digital at that particular time. I worked as um, a business support executive was my job title, but actually um, I just looked after retailers who sold Sky. So there was no pressure. It was pretty easy, Ozzy. We were getting flown around the UK to, for meetings and in and out of London and had a desk in Livingston. And my lifestyle then fitted in nicely with that nine to five job where there was no pressure, but that didn't fulfill me it's not what I wanted to do at some point I wanted to grow up and I always had a bit of an interest in eyewear and that really is where things started to change for me because I got a job at Optical Express and there was an element of studying involved selling glasses is a skill making glasses is a skill and I had to knock the crazy weekends on the head uh, primarily because when you work in optics you work a Saturday it's like any other retail job. So I couldn't go out. I couldn't hold down a job in a nightclub and do that. And working in optics is what I actually really wanted to do. It was my burning desire at that time. Yeah. And that's, like I say, it's, it's mad when you look back and you think, I mean, you, maybe subconsciously you don't remember making the decision or whatever, but you've had to just go, I need to calm down here, eh? Because Friday's blurring into a Monday morning. And we've all been there, and that's that's no good. Especially in the radio days when I thought I could burn candles at both ends and realise quickly, you cannot. But did It's quite funny because when I worked at Wave 102, that was kind of me reliving some of that crazy time um, because I had been settled for the years in, in between. Um, so it was nice to have a little blowout. I don't think I would go down that road again. I don't, hangovers now last a week. Um, I can hack it. No, no, there's no chance. I know if I'm going out to, to put my life on hold to about Wednesday, so it's all good. Um, so so when then, so you're what, early 20s now? And then you're th- you've started a career and then you're thinking this, this'll be it. And I mean, you're on about the, growing up and um, a wee bit bullied at school. Did you do well at school and grades wise? 
No, no, really? no. Um, no, not really. No, I just couldn't be bothered. No. Um, I, I, I'd be recently been diagnosed actually with ADHD, and one of the character traits that I have in my person that I didn't realise was there is, is that I'm very, very hard to please. I'm quite next thing, next project. I need to be busy all the time. And when I'm in a situation where I feel like I'm stuck still, I kind of cope. It, it really um, affects my mental health. It affects my mood. It affects my ability to get up and keep going. So I need something else going on. I need to be constantly challenged. So that was put to good use um, in Optical Express. It was quite a small company at the time. Whereas Sky is a massive, massive organisation. It's never been any smaller than what it is now. It's always been huge. So I was just literally a, a payroll number within that job. Within Optical Express, I got to make a difference. I was part of the teams that were buying over other opticians. So I began to um, new acquisitions and turning them into Optical Express. Or one of my jobs there was to work in head office where we had bought over a company called the Eye Clinic who had a call centre. And they wanted to move the call centre from the eye clinic in Newcastle to the head office of Optical Express in Cumbernauld. And I said, I'll do it. Let me in on this project. Let me do it. I've worked at Sky. They have a call centre. I can do it. <laughs> and literally, that's kind of how I bounced around my time within that optical um, industry, just getting involved in loads of bits and pieces Um from selling laser vision connection, glasses, making eyewear, customer service, getting involved in marketing, buying frames. Um, all of these experiences have served me well in where I am today. See, the, you mentioned that about getting a diagnosis of ADHD. So is this something you've always thought of over the years? And how does it come for you to actually go and get this tested and, and, say, and told that is what it is? No, it isn't. I didn't know why um, these huge waves of depression would come over me. Like suffering with mental health um, is something that has occurred throughout my life in various different phases, whether it's feeling pressure at school, pressure from being bullied, uh, not understanding who I am with sexuality, or I would always go into these dips of depression and my recent diagnosis is just being able to analyze what is it about some of my character traits what is it that I could identify um, that make me struggle with my mental health I had a particularly bad episode of mental health in January of 2020 um, I feel like my life had just fallen apart and we can talk more about what happened in January 2020 a bit later, but in the analysis of what actually happened and what was the lead up to that time, I really strongly believe it's because um, feeling unfulfilled, struggling to hold anything down for any long periods of time, struggling to maintain my interest. And the world moving round about me at a much slower pace than I am inside and becoming really frustrated about the situations that I found myself in and feeling a bit like the victim, to be honest. I mean, you know what it's like in the radio industry. It's a particularly tough industry. Um, I managed to... I, I still am in and out of the radio industry. I've managed to hang on to that and I think it is just because it's always so different and always um, so varied and if I get dropped I move on if something happens I move on um, you can't do that in the real world you know you can't do that throughout jobs my CV is like a phone book thick of all the things that I've done if you had to break down the different roles within the companies that I've worked for or even the companies that I've worked for um, but that comes with at a price because you have I have this feeling inside or had this feeling inside of just not being fulfilled. Something was missing and I don't know what it is. Um, and following on from my crisis in January 2020, I spent some period of time um, last year 
figuring out what it was. And I also, at that time, happened to be under the care of a psychiatrist at Cornhill Hospital. So being able to talk about some of the information that I had looked at and some of my character traits, we came to the conclusion together, actually, this might be ADHD. And then through a long, laborious diagnosis, um, we figured out that's what it is. It's my superpower, my neurodivergence superpower. <laughs> yeah, and um, you, you mentioned January 2020. You want to tell us about it? I so January 2020, I felt like my life literally fell apart. Um, Pre-COVID, so pre-pandemic, um, I was the entree to that. Um, I decided the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, that I was not good enough for this world and I tried to take my life three times in quick succession. Unsuccessfully, thankfully, I'm so grateful that it didn't work and um, that I'm still here to tell the tale. But I literally feel like my life had fallen to bits, completely fallen to bits. Um I had lost the house that I was staying in at the time. The person wanted to sell it and I ended up facing homelessness. I was facing being out of a job at that particular time. I knew that my life had to change. My marriage um, in the year previous had kind of fallen fallen apart. Um, and just my world as I knew it was completely upside down. And um, January, it came to a head of that year. And January, February, March for me was a blur because I was receiving treatment and I was still hearing a bit pissed off about it, if I'm being honest, at that time. Um, and then we were hearing news of a major thing happening in Wuhan. And it's funny how the world turning to shit round about you suddenly makes you feel a bit better. <laughs> actually maybe my world is not all that bad after all and I'm quite creative and I've always been creative I will figure out what to do I might go into optics but do it on my own do it on my own accord on my own terms and I created um, my eyewear bag as it was at the time very spexy and I decided to style friends and family with glasses um, and have them made up. And that's where my business came from. Very sexy. Right at the beginning of the pandemic, because I was just a tiny bit of a loose end. I had a few part-time jobs at that time. I um, worked at Morrison's. I worked um, as a taxi dispatcher on the phone. Um, oh, I could so see you in that role. Honestly, it's such a thankless, horrible job, but I did it. And um, yeah, that's what I did right at the very beginning. And then I had very specs kind of bur bubbling along in the back burner, um, doing bits and pieces. And it gave me time to settle. And I threw all my creativity and all my energy and all my effort into this um, business and over the past 18 months I now have two stores I've got one in the city centre of Aberdeen, I've got one in Peterhead and I sell without a word of a lie, the coolest eyewear on the planet Yeah, listen, you can blow your own drop all you want, uh, this is why you're here um, I love it, I love it um, I won an award just recently Global Health and Pharma Best Independent um, Optical Boutique in the northeast of Scotland we are in the running for Scottish Business Awards. We've got that award ceremony coming up in October where I'm really hopeful, fingers crossed, we're going to clean up there. We are picked up by um, the Herald. They wrote a piece on us as one of the coolest places to buy eyewear in Scotland. So things are really happening for me and for Very Spexy and the team here and the brands that we sell. And it's just really exciting. And this is the time where I feel like I've got all the freedom to throw my creativity and my neurodivergent thinking into doing optics differently. Um, and this is the thing that I've been missing. This is the thing that I've needed. 
Um, so it's good. Yeah, listen, when you say you take it from, from there in January 2022, where you are now. It's absolutely polar opposites, of course it is. But when, you, when you're there and you're seeing you first time, second time, third time, you know, I, I mean, I didn't even know, I can't even think to, to even imagine what, what you were like at that time to be just thinking, nah, that's it, just, just done. You know what I mean? A shell of a person. I had nothing to say to anybody. Couldn't care less what anybody else was doing in their life. Didn't really care what was going on in my life. Um, setting fires to situations all around about me. Um, just an unhappy person, a deeply unhappy person. And the sad thing is, or the blessing that I got is, I walk through life now and sometimes I identify these deeply unhappy people that are in amongst us. They are there. You work with them. They're in your family. They're in your friend circle. And sometimes I recognise the these people um, based on my own experience and I can say to them, are you all right? Do you need me to sit down with you? Do you want to talk about something? What's going on? And people sadly now are finding themselves in the depths of despair because of COVID. For me, I got out in my depths of despair because of COVID, which is a really, really weird situation to be in because everyone else in the world feels like their life is in tatters and upside down. And I actually feel like, wow, I'm getting my shit together. I mentioned that I was homeless at that particular time. My house, I, last week, I just bought a house. Exactly. How nuts is that? I know. It's an it's, it's, it's amazing part of your story. You know what I mean? How how important then has it been for you to you know for coming back and reinventing yourself over the last eighteen months? I think it's been really important for me to hang on to the things that are familiar in life. Um, I've had a couple of stints on radio in the past eighteen months, so I've done little bits and pieces with various um, stations in the north of Scotland and in the northeast, and um, it's something that I enjoy. It was a job that I did um, working for a commercial radio station for a long time. Now I can dip in and out of it in my terms, but being able to um, stock the eyewear that I want to stock serve the customers that I want to serve, deliver the service that I think people deserve and um, buy the house that I want to buy because I'm able to do it and I can afford to do it. And um, Be in the relationship with my other half, Jonathan, on the terms that we are happy with um, is really, really good for me because I've taken 18 months to figure out what is it I want to do. Um, this year I turned 40. Who knew that you would grow up at 40? But... Um, I did. I grew up at 40 and life is really, really exciting for me just now. And I guess my message would be to anybody who is listening is to hopefully they feel inspired by my story. Do whatever you want to do in life, but always be there to pick up your own pieces and go on your own path because other people around, it's not their responsibility to do it for you. Right. So you have to live your life authentically do what you want to do, take risks, but also be there to pick up your own pieces and um, roll forward with your life. Did you meet Jonathan at Room at the Top? No, I didn't meet him at Room at the Top. He was <laughs> um, non-existent. He's a younger... <laughs> now, I'm only joking. He was, he, he's, he was he was a child when I was at Room at the Top. Okay, that's fine. That's all right. Was it just uh, is it just a liquid up in Aberdeen then? I <laughs> liquid in Aberdeen. It was on Instagram actually. How funny! Oh really? Um, how very twenty twenty one? How very twenty twenty one? Meeting someone on Instagram, um, it was great. We got on like a house on fire. Um, he's thirteen years younger than me, so there is a bit of an age difference. But um, absolutely, I'm with um, you, man. Totally I'm with switched. You. He, yeah, he's really switched on. Jonathan has his own businesses, so we both are very entrepreneurial. We both take risks, um, but we both are able to sit together and creatively think about how we make situations work. And um, we decide together what we're going to get involved in, what we're going to put energy to. Um, 
yeah, and we just we just we just roll it. We don't have conventional PAYE jobs as such. Um, we're just like you're doing doing what we want to do um, as we want to do it on our terms. Yeah. So are you are you guys you're on your own separate things, but you'll you'll sort of brainstorm for each other and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. So Jonathan has his own company, Airborne. Again, another success story during uh, the, the pandemic, he would be ordinarily editing wedding videos and photos. Um, he's a videographer and photographer, graphics designer. But he got into the property market um, throughout the pandemic because people who are selling their houses needed creative ways to market their houses what better way to do it when people are not out and about is via a 360 video and virtual walkthrough. So videos and photos. Um, and he's been really, really successful at that. So um, his company is definitely going places. Um, and he's just had to adapt as well. I think his adaptation, and I'm going to give myself another pat on the back, has come quicker from me because I've learned don't hang about just if something's not working for you just change it and do it quickly don't think about it too deeply just get stuck in and make it work so he did and it's worked really really well for him it's amazing what the pandemic done to people I mean, apart from turning everyone to making bread but the amount of sort of small companies that would pop up because people were if they were furloughed or whatever they were needing to try something new whereas Jonathan, on the other hand, has, has had to flip what he normally does and try and do something else. Because at the end of the day, bills still need paid. 100%. We still have ourselves to support. We had the dream of buying the house. We could have laid back and said, look at our situation, it's horrific. But we didn't. I went and got a job. He got a job at Morrison's actually at one point as well, doing home delivery um, right at the very beginning. Um we both just get in and graft wherever it's needed. We're never sat wondering what to get up to. We just really focused on making money, paying bills, keeping ourselves on our own two feet and working towards our goals. Um, and we filled some voids that may have been there, certainly in my industry and I where opticians were closing. Opticians were saying we're only open between... Um, one o'clock and three o'clock and I didn't I stayed open throughout the pandemic because I'm an NHS um, registered business so um, I'm a primary care um, supplier so if somebody needs glasses on the NHS I'm here for them and I just operated as normal with all the safety precautions in place to allow me to do it I didn't feel the need to close I didn't feel the need to um, take time out or I'd really use my time very wisely and he did too and I think there are a whole bunch of folk out there in the world who got really stuck in during the pandemic and didn't lie down to it. And we'll see these folk with really successful businesses in year years to come, definitely. Yeah, yeah without a doubt. Um, listen, let's talk about your business. So you've mentioned briefly that it started right at the pan start of the pandemic then. So was the idea to... Was the goal obviously was probably to have a shop, maybe not two shops or whatever. But where did it see from being that scribble on the bit of paper to when it, you started to think this is something I've got something? You know, the goal was not even to have a shop at the, at the time. I had a, a case. My idea was to do domiciliary visits, so be out and about in the community and go and see people and um, organise their glasses for them because obviously everyone was at home. Retail was not open. And I would be at home and doing part of it online, part of it face-to-face um, in their home. And when I decided that I really needed the premises was actually when I came up across sourcing some of the coolest brands, I carry brands that are worn by the likes of Kylie Jenner, Chris Hemsworth, Beck, um, lo- loads of celebrities out there. RuPaul, um, Lewis Hamilton wears eyewear. Um, I've styled some celebrities myself, actually, because of the brands that I stock. However, these brands like bricks and mortar locations. So I got a little office in a business centre 
and that's where I started. I then decided to install a lab and I couldn't do that in the business centre. And just by chance, I drove past my little shop that I'm in now. It was a cafe. Um, the third oldest building in Peterhead had a two-let sign in the window. And um, I thought, I wonder, I wonder what that building is like inside. Because I'd never seen it as a cafe. And Jonathan said, oh, it's quaint. It's little, it's got little rickety staircase, little rooms everywhere. And I just went on the website for the estate agent. And honestly, the price was peanuts, literally peanuts, because we're mid-pandemic. They're trying to lease out the property. They want it going. It was cheaper than my office in the business centre. And I thought, why not just do it? So that's why, that's how this shop came about. It was sheer opportunity um, and taking have, a chance. Do you have to do a lot of work in it to get it ready? No, I didn't. I didn't really because my concept is quite quirky. So doorways are uneven, walls are uneven. I've got flower walls that look really, really pretty and Instagrammable. You'll take an amazing Instagram photo in my shop because it's really nice, but they're actually covering a multitude of sins. Um, I didn't have to do a huge amount. And throughout the pandemic, people's expectations were actually pretty low because I was doing better than anyone else, offering better service, better product. So I could just chip away at it. Now it's gorgeous. It's a really, really nice shop. Very, like I say, Instagrammable. I think people enjoy nice aesthetics. They like nice decor. They like upcycled things. And it's very that. Yeah, and you know, obviously you've mentioned COVID didn't really impact your business, but how, how did it feel getting to open the doors again What after oh, everything that happened and it was back to, I'm not saying normal, let's not go there, but getting a wee bit more normality for you. You know, when people started coming in off the street just browsing because I've run an appointments-based system for the whole time, it was weird. I was like, these people are just walking into my shop and they're saying, oh, my pals had um, eyewear from you or my friend does this. I do this really quirky thing where I give everybody unlimited lens cleaner. So if you get a pair of glasses from me, I give you a little glass bottle and you can come and use a lens cleaner pump in store to refill. All of these refills started coming in because people were now able to go out and about. Like People were making it their day trip. Let's go and refill our lens cleaner because we have a reason to be out today. So I started to see people creeping in and that actually was filled me with joy, to be honest, because I feel like we're starting to see people feeling brave enough to be out and about in public. Forgive my ignorance, but why do you refer to it as eyewear? Um, I refer to glasses as eyewear because glasses are, it's what a boring word, right? Glasses. Well, that's why I'm asking the question. <laughs> Glasses. I wear is um, uh, jewellery that you can wear on your head, really. Um, some really, really cool brands that I carry. You know, I have this um, brand called Alem that's um, designed by a Parisian girl called Alem. She lives in Venice Beach in LA, um, originally from Paris. The product is made in Oyana in France um, and the acetate is made from one of the oldest acetate houses um, in Italy, handmade acetate, it's Mazzucchelli. And the hardware, so the metal within the material is 22 karat gold palladium. Sounds expensive, but actually it's not. It doesn't cost any more than your, and I say with, you can't see it, but quote marks, designer eyewear because there isn't actually such a thing as designer eyewear Um, it costs the same and you're getting something that's been handmade beautiful is made of precious materials and just looks really really cool so that's why I call it eyewear I'm an eyewear stylist and spectacle maker for for people who are Wearers of eyewear as they are. Um, have you got a top three brands? Have you got a favourite three brands that people should maybe look out for or come and see you for? Well, my top tip, actually, I'll, I'll change it to a top tip rather than okay. my top, top three brands. My top tip is 
never buy eyewear straight off the bat. It, do some research on what it is you're buying. You'll find that one or two companies manufacture almost all brands of eyewear. There's a company called Luxottica in Italy. They own Ray-Ban, Oakley, Sunglass Hut, Lens Crafters in the USA. And they license around 179 brands like Burberry, Coach, Prada, Tiffany, Vivian Westwood, Versace, you name it. Most designer eyewear is actually all made in one factory. Um, a lot of components are manufactured in China and hand-assembled in Italy, and therefore they're made in Italy. The influence that the actual designers have over the design of the eyewear is nothing. Zero. The team of designers that work for these um, eyewear houses, I guess we could call them, work across multiple brands, multiple platforms and make multiple products. Um, a lot of the time they're not even inspired by the actual designer. So imagine going into a shop where you want a luxury experience like buying something from Prada and finding out it's not actually Prada, it's just the name on the leg. So where I come in is I sell actual cool products that's worn by celebs like Alem, number one, very cool brand, Parisian girl who just loves eyewear. She loves everything she does. And she has her eyewear made by um, ateliers in Oyana, in France, and it's all handmade. Very generous, chunky acetate, beautifully made. Um, my second brand that I'm going to mention is Blake Kuwahara. Such a cool, cool brand made from Japanese acetate. So it's layers of... Um, acetate that's put together and cured over a period of around six months. The tips at the end are weighted so the eyewear is pulled back onto your face and lifted off your nose so you don't have the weight. And these are just stunning. It's luxury. And the next brand that I want to tell you about is my own brand that's sitting in the factory right now being manufactured in Turin called John Mitchell Bespoke. Have a look for that. If your optician's not stocking John Mitchell Bespoke, then ask them about it because it will be available on their shelves very, very soon. Yeah, no, that, that, that's an incredible part of it. Um, how did you end up in Peterhead or how did you end up opening the shop in Peterhead? So I ended up in Peterhead because Jonathan is in Peterhead and actually it just feels a bit like home. Um, the shop being located here, purely coincidental, half accidental, but also there isn't anything similar to what I do mm. in this neck of the woods. So I was filling a gap. Um, the other cool eyewear um, places that you can purchase eyewear, Specs Pistols and Dundee, Richards has a shop there brilliant brilliant team there amazing eyewear that they sell um we've got cleland and co in montrose they're another eyewear stylist stocking some of the brands that i stock really really nice team and um, gary's there um looking after your eyewear needs and then as you scroll down further into um scotland the it's harder to find boutiques like we have. Um, we've got Newcastle, Manchester, but nothing in the north east of Scotland, not even anything in Aberdeen that remotely does what I um, do. So I've seen it as a big opportunity and I, the rest is history. Yeah, because you're in Aberdeen now. That's quite recent though, isn't it? It is recent, yes. So I'm located in the Spaces Building, um, one Marshall Square, quite a controversial building because nobody enjoyed it being built, but it's a really, really cool location. So I'm straight across to Mackey's Ice Cream. So, Ronnie, it's dangerous because all I want to do all day long when I'm there is sell glasses and eat ice cream. It's great. Yeah. So so starting out just for yourself, how many is in your team now then? Um, there's five of us that work here um, on a full-time basis for Very Sexy, but my team actually is much bigger than that. And I'm part of what would be a much bigger team. So the agents that we work with, the brands that we work with, we all work together 
um, for the same cause. So it's really interesting, um, whether it be our lens supplier being able to speak to the dispensing optician um, there where I can catch up with Fiona and run things past her or my good friend Debbie who looks after Al M and Paul Smith or Emma who works for the goods agency. So there's only five of us that work for various Betsy technically but the team is much bigger than that. Yeah. And after all that and with the two places and that, how does uh, John Mitchell switch off at the end of the day? Oh, I, you know, I just love being a, a little home buddy. So I'm so pleased that we've been able to buy a house, that we can make it cosy, we can do the garden nice. We've got two dogs, um, a golden retriever called Hunter and a beagle called Millie. So we enjoy taking the dogs out a walk. Honestly, we're like a pair of old men with our dogs and it's great. Well, one of you is old. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. True. It's true. true. There is one dub. Um, listen, we were on about, uh, we are speaking about, you know, the different challenges you had as a teenager and growing up and how different it is now. See, like, how much do you think, like, programmes like It's a Sin might have for people? Because, I mean, I watched it and I thought it was absolutely superb. I think um, this is an interesting topic because I also am a Christian, believe it or not. I go to church each Sunday. I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. So it's a, a conflicting situation for me because in my personal life, I have friends who are Christians who um, don't endorse my life, but they support me as a person. So Jonathan and I having a house together is not the best news for some of our friends because they say it's not God's best, but they support us as people. So programmes like It's a Sin um, and any other programme, I watched a brilliant programme um, the other day called um, Pray Away, where it's Christians um, who were gay decided to... Um, create a conversion therapy course and they honestly really messed up so many people's heads including their own trying to change who they were as people um, and actually at the end sorry if you're going to watch Pray Away but as it turns out almost everybody failed including the people who organised the groups and I guess what I, advice I would give to anybody who's conflicted about um, what does being gay actually mean? And I say this to my friends who go to church. I say this to um, anybody else who's at all conflicted about the morality over it is choosing your sexuality is like choosing your eye colour or choosing your skin colour. And the abomination that we lived through where we would have people of colour sitting in a different part of the bus and we now are horrified and aghast that that happens. We need that for LGBTQ people. We need that for gay people. We need that for lesbians. We need that for our trans people. Um, we need that for anybody who's non-binary. We need that for anybody who's living their life um, in a gender non-typical way um, we just need to understand that sometimes in life people don't have choices and sexuality is not one of these choices what would uh, if you're back at 18 again now in 2021 what would John Mitchell do differently probably get medicated um <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think, I'll tell you first thing, you'd be in room at the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would do less self-medication. No, I don't know what I would do differently. I'm really lucky to be um, able to take part in a podcast and speak so candidly about my life and be honest and tell the truth about who I am, my situation um, I, I couldn't have had this conversation back in January of 2020. It would have been an impossible conversation to have. So I guess my advice would be don't sweat the small stuff so much. Don't take, take things so personally. Never doubt yourself and um, love yourself unconditionally 
all the time because the times where I fell out with myself and fell out of love with myself were the times where I was so confused and didn't understand what was going on and um, the depression would hit and I would consider what the world might be like without me in it, which is counterintuitive because how can you consider that? Because you wouldn't be in it. Correct. Absolutely correct. It'd be rubbish. It'd it would be, be rubbish. It'd be quiet. I mean, come on. You know what I mean? Exactly. Who's going to wear all that funky eyewear and stuff? Um, what's next for the, for yourself? What's next for the business? What's the plans? So John Mitchell bespoke, literally you're the first set of years really publicly that's hearing about this. We're working on that. So um, we've got a plethora of colours and design um, that we're working on. It'll be available exclusively to begin with at Very Spexy, but the dream would be to have it um, accessible in other optical practices. So we're working really hard on that just now. And um, really selling more cool eyewear. I don't have plans for store number three. I don't have plans for growing any more than what we are. We just want to serve new customers, hang out with new people, have a coffee and play with some really cool eyewear. And uh, if people want to check you out online, where can they find you? They can find me at veryspexy.com or check me out on Instagram, um, veryspexy or hello John Mitchell um, on my own personal Insta. John, listen, it's been a pleasure uh, looking back at the last umpteen years, as it seems. Um, and it, it always passes quite quickly. I think when you when we you come from that mutual sort of background and, and, and then you, you start chatting about it and for being so open and honest, I kind of thank you enough and I wish you absolute every success with the business. You know, if you're needing a model, it's no me. But um, I think, you know, to go and get your own stuff out there as well, you know, it just shows that creative thing in you has never lo- never left and I hope it never, ever does. Same as you. Don't go fucking off on us, you know, or you're just going <laughs> to throw it all the way. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends about it and leave a review or a rating. If you didn't, then let's never speak of it again. These are the days.